Hey, good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be sharing the word with you today. And as Justin said, we're in week three of our series, Real Love. Um, I'm waiting for the Mary JQ to come on. You know, 90 songs. There you go. Melvin started singing it for me. Um, But we're diving deep into uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 11 today. And we've titled this one, The Command of Jesus. Well, today's Father's Day, and Justin already said it, but I want to say it from one dad to all the dads that are uh, watching online and in-house, happy Father's Day. Uh, I've been blessed with an amazing dad myself, and he's actually sitting right there. Now, I had the privilege of growing up in a home where I saw my dad, love my mom, respect my mom, and he raised three boys to love the Lord. And today, his three boys are grown men. We all have kids and wives of our own, and we're all trying to follow in his footsteps. We all love our wives. We care for our families, and we all try to love the Lord. We're not perfect at times. We all mess up, but we strive to make him proud. Now, we have a great example ourselves to follow. We'll be looking at how in this text, the command of Jesus, it causes us to first obey God and love others. Let's jump into the scripture. I'm starting in verse three. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Can we just pray real quick? Lord, I thank you today. Lord God, I thank you for this amazing Father's Day, God. And God, I pray as we get ready to go into your word today that you would hide your servant behind the cross, Lord God. God, that you would be speaking to your people both here in person and online, Lord God. That you would touch all of our hearts and transform us, Lord God. God, that we would walk away from this day different, Lord God. More in love with you and more in love with one another. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week, uh, Pastor Justin shared about the advocate we have in Jesus, letting us know that when we do sin, we have Jesus there to provide covering and atonement for those sins. But what's the evidence that we have the assurance that we have a relationship with Jesus? John points first to obedience. Now, that's a very complex word in our day and age. When we value individualism, control, and freedom, We live in a culture today where obedience is looked at as weakness and submission is giving up control of who you are. But yet as Christians, we do these things out of love for the one who saved us, restores us, and keeps us. This type of obedience that we demonstrate to the world is called loving obedience. We've been embraced by his love When we receive Christ, our heart is changed. That that love causes us to obey him. It's not something that's forced on us. Instead, it's something that we do 
because of that incredible love that now lives within us. When I think of an incredible love, it takes me back to, it's going to be 10 years in a few weeks, um, the day my son Micah was born. Micah's nine years old, and on August 31st, he turns 10. Now, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Four o'clock in the morning, Jess wakes me up, and she turns to me, and she's like, honey, I think I'm in labor. And me waking out of the stupor of sleep, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so... We get ready. We weren't ready because Micah was a month and a half early. And I pack whatever we have in a bag and we head off to the, to the hospital. And we actually, um, we live in Queens, but for some reason we chose Methodist over here to, to have Micah. Don't know why we wanted to drive that far um, to, to have Micah, but we did. So we're waiting in the hospital from about 4.30 in the morning to 5 p.m. where Micah decides he's ready to come out. And after about a few minutes of pushing, Micah's born. Now, Micah was tiny. He was 17 inches long, but he was under four pounds. Really skinny little thing. And he had this funny cry when he came out. Not funny, haha, but it was weird. And quickly, the doctors picked up on it. They brought him over to the little table where they cleaned him and everything, and they start you know, doing whatever they're doing. And I can see two young doctors. I still remember their face. And they started to list out all these things that was going to be wrong with my son. But at that moment, I didn't hear that. I felt this amazing love come over me that day. I was so in love with this little guy. Someone who never spoke to me, didn't know my name, couldn't ask for any help, couldn't offer me anything at that moment in time. I was so amazingly in love with him. And... As I hear them saying all these things, I thought to myself, if they ask me for anything, I'll give it up. If they need my heart, my lungs, my kidneys, whatever it is, I'll give it up. I, it doesn't matter. I was so in love with him that I just wanted him to be okay. When you're in love with Christ, like that moment when Micah entered the world, nothing else matters. That love drives you and all you want to do is make that person happy. A love for Christ should equal a loving obedience from us. A loving obedience comes from a loving relationship. It's not driven by fear or by outward appearance of how we look, but by deep love for Jesus. You don't want to disobey him to cause him any hurt or harm, but you care about how he feels. It's the driving motivation for our obedience in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that commandment keepers all have a relationship with Christ. As we see in scriptures, the Pharisees, they kept the law, but they did this out of an outward righteousness that they were trying to portray in front of the people. They didn't do it because they loved the Lord. They didn't do it because they wanted to honor God. They did it because they wanted to show the people that they were superior. They wanted to show that they had a relationship with God that didn't exist anything inside. It was all outside. See, in contrast, John lets us know that those that claim to know him do not obey. They're liars. Why are they liars? Because their conduct contradicts the profession of their faith. We have a great example in Scripture to look at. My man, Judas. Judas ate with Jesus 
He walked with Jesus. He even healed people and cast out demon in Jesus's name. Yet he sold them out. He dimed them out for 30 pieces of silver. You tell me, is that love? Does that mean that he actually loved them? I don't think so. You wouldn't dime somebody out that you love for 30 pieces of silver. Today in church, we have a lot of people who claim to know Jesus. In fact, they know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know him personally. This is the difference between relationship and religion. Just saying it a few minutes ago. See, the Pharisees, they had religion, but they didn't have relationship with God. It'd be like tonight, you go home, you get on Netflix or Amazon or whatever else exists out there that you have, and you pull up the Steve Jobs movie, and you watch the Steve Jobs movie, and then you pull up your phone or your iPad or your Kindle, whatever you got, and you look up a documentary or an autobiography or a biography on Steve Jobs and you read it. Now, would you say to yourself, I know Steve Jobs or I know about Steve Jobs? That's the difference I'm talking about here. You can know a lot about Jesus in reading scripture and going through commentaries and all these other things that we have available to us, but you have to know him personally. There has to be a love relationship with him. And then there's this other contrast of people in the church. Um, they try to have a relationship with Jesus by proxy. It's either the pastor or how much they serve. So they equate their relationship with Jesus by how well they know the pastor, how close they are to him, or how many ministries or things that they do for Jesus. It'd be like after service, you go stand in the back and you're hanging out. Justin walks up to you and he's like, oh, it's great seeing you here today. Man, I love your shoes, love your outfit. You look great. Hey, afterwards, we're going to Industry City. We're going to go hang out. Um, you want to come? Even though he probably made the rounds and asked everybody in the room, that was still left if they wanted to go to Industry City. But you hear that and you go, Jesus loves me and we're good. I've been there, I know that. Or there's the, I'm gonna stack the ministries I serve in, that means I love Jesus. So you join Z Kids, you join the Connect Table, you join Set Up and Breakdown and every other ministry that's out there and you're like, this is how good my relationship with Jesus is. I do all these things for him because I love him so much but they don't actually equate to anything. What John says is, whoever obeys his word, that's the evidence that the love of God lives inside of him. It's a mature love that causes us to obey, submit, and imitate Jesus. If we say we're in Christ, then we are to live like Christ. Now, that first does not mean that we, that we get to walk on water or change water into wine though both of those things would be really cool. Like I can picture after service, just walking out, out there to the East River. And if God gave me the ability, just hopping on the East River and walk into Manhattan. Or right now, if I take this water, right? And I, and I blessed it and I was like, yo God. And then when I'm like, we're gonna do communion and I pour it out and it's all red. Look, it's water. <laughs> That'd be really dope. But the thing that he's actually calling us to is a disciplined and submitted life to God. If we imitate Jesus, we do so by how we love people, how we serve people, and how we share the gospel. You see, in this first part here, 
John checked on the moral measurement or test of our love through our obedience to God. Now we're going to look at the social measurement or test of our love. Let's dig into verses 7 through 11. Dear friends, I am writing you a new, sorry, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is in the message you've heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So what John is saying here is this commandment that he's sharing us is both old and new. So John is speaking about retros. I think we all can identify, or most of us in the room right here can identify what retros are. They're old sneakers that have come back and they present them as new. So this is what John is doing. He was the originator of a retro right there. The commandment's old because in the Old Testament, it was spoken about in Leviticus 9.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5. I'm not going to read those, but you can read them yourselves. But it's new because Jesus called it new in John 13.34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. See, this command is new because the world had not yet seen the love that Jesus was describing. And not only did he command us to do this, but first he lived it out for us. Jesus did, how did Jesus live out this thing for us? Well, first, he healed the diseases of those that were sick. He healed the lame. He forgave sins. He washed the disciples' feet. And lastly, he died on the cross for us. See, this example of love that Jesus lived out, it was foreign to the world. And we needed his example in order for us to understand how he was calling us to love one another. This kind of love that he's calling us to live, it's for the church to live out daily. This is the kind of love he's calling Zion to live out in this new season of our church. We're being invited into a selfless love for one another, a love that cares for the sick, cares for the widow and orphan. It forgives offenses. It lays down one's life for a friend. I'm not talking about giving your life up physically, but here I'm talking about not putting yourself first, but putting your brother and your sister first. When they're in need, when they need someone to care for them, when they're hurting, when they lose a loved one, they should be able to turn to their brother or sister in those times of need. And we shouldn't care about ourselves, but we should put them first during those times. In verses 7 through 11, John questioned our love for God through his love for his people. I'm sorry, through our love for his people. How many of you in this room and online, you can show me by your hands, know that the church is made up of people? Everybody should have their hands up. And if we're all a little bit honest with ourselves, we're all a little jacked up. I'm a lot jacked up. I will be honest there. 
after holding my daughter for like 30 minutes while worship was going on, my back is jacked up right now too. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Um, <laughs> but I've been in church for a long time. I know I don't look that old. I know I said a couple of weeks ago that me and Jess were celebrating 17 years of, uh, of marriage. Last um, Saturday, we celebrated 17 years of marriage. That's a long time. My parents are right there. They didn't marry us off at like 15 years old. We were married at 21. Both of us are 38 right now. It's okay. I don't look 38. Amen. God's grace <laughs> on my life. But you know, I've been in church for a long, long time. And some of the most painful and worst hurts in my life have been from someone in the church because you love each other, you're vulnerable with each other. And a lot of times that leaves you open to be wounded and hurt by someone in the church. I could write you a book on all the things that were said and done to me. And for a long time, I walked around with that pain and I held it against those people. And I could even be honest, some of those people I hated at some point in time in my life. It takes me back to 2016. Now, 2016, January, I never met Justin Matera. I had no idea who Justin Matera was. I never met the St. Jeans. Um, had no idea who these guys were. Never heard of Zion Church. Me and Jess, we were at our old church. And at that time, we were praying and God had led us um, that we were going to leave, that we were coming up. Now, I had grown up in this church. My parents were deacons there. I had literally been there since I was probably three or four years old. And I'd lived there my entire life. I went through youth ministry. I served in every ministry as an adult and been there and done that. And I loved this place. And I had so many good relationships with people that I loved. And we had this, um, this, this prompting on our heart that it was time for us to go. And we had no idea what it was going to look like. But we decided to pray it out. And we prayed it out all the way until May. And then we felt God give us that prompting to say, it's, it's, it's okay, it's time to go now. So we had planned to meet with our senior pastors and we were going to share with them and tell them, hey, we'll stay through the summer um, because, you know, we want to be, uh, we want to leave well. And, you know, then we'll go on and we'll start looking for a new church. And we had this meeting with our pastors and I'm being very honest and vulnerable. That meeting did not turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. And instead of, uh, hey, we love you, we're going to pray for you and send you guys off, we got the, bye Felicia, moment. It was like, bye. You can't say goodbye to anybody. You can't just go. And broke our hearts because I had been there my entire life. Jess was there probably 18 years. That's where we met. That's where we got married. That's where we um, had Micah. So we've been there a long time. And I walked around with that hurt from May for a long time um, even through the beginning of, of Zion, that hurt stuck around. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with someone where that hurt started to go away and started to dissipate. But what John is sharing in this letter, it lets us know it's our love for our brothers and sisters that he's talking about, not our love for the non-believer. Oftentimes, if we could be honest with ourselves, it's easier to love the non-believer. It's easier to extend grace to the non-believer. It's easier to forgive the non-believer. Why? Because they don't know better. If they say something hurtful, they really don't know better. They don't know Christ the way you do. So it's easy to extend grace to them. 
But with our brothers and sisters within the church, we have unrealistic expectations of them. Because they know Jesus, they should act better. They should do better. When they mess up, they should apologize. But John lets us know the command here is to love our brothers and our sisters. It's on us and not on them. The command first is on us. We're to show love before we're to ever expect to receive it back from them. Last week, Justin mentioned spiritualism. There's this growing group within the church that says that they love God, but they hate the church. They can't stand the church. It makes no sense because God is intimately connected with his church. They're his bride. That's what he calls it in scripture. You can't love God, accept Jesus, and disconnect yourself from the church. When you accept Jesus, you're part of the church. You're grafted in the vine. It's the church. That's what he's talking about. All the branches, they're the church. They're the different churches that are all throughout this world. We're part of that. You can't just create your own leaf and be like, well, I'm going to stand alone by myself. That's not cool. And I can get it. I know, like I said, church can really hurt people at times. People can really do stupid things. But so can we. We do it to Jesus all the time. He takes us back. He forgives us like Justin shared last week. He's our advocate. We have to extend forgiveness and love to our brothers and our sisters. If we lose love, we lose everything. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, said it best. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We place value on ministry, on gifts, on faith, on generosity. But Paul lets us know that without love, all those things are empty. Our Christian life is empty without love. John goes on to say, when we hold hate in our heart, we're lost. We're no longer in the light, but we've chosen to go back into the darkness. We begin to stumble around. Now, I don't know if my glasses show it, but I have transition lenses. Anybody else in the room have transition lenses? All right, good. We have one person in the back. There's a love-hate relationship for transition lenses. When I'm outside and it's sunny and they transition dark, I love it. I'm driving, great, man, protects my eyes, does great. When you walk from the sunny into a darker room, you go blind for like two, three minutes. You can't see anything. You're like, and that happens every week when I walk from outside into the room downstairs to take the elevator. I'm like, uh, and I'm scared I'm going to trip over something and there's something in front of me. So... This is something that I struggle with. As children of the light, when we have hate in our heart, that's what ends up happening to us. We go blind and we start stumbling around in the darkness. With hate in our heart, we start, we start moving around like this because we keep tripping over hate. 
God doesn't let us go. He doesn't let that thing go from us. We can just keep tripping over the hate that we have for this brother or this sister because they did this thing or that thing. Hate can be expressed in so many ways. Maybe it's your speech. Maybe the way you talk to those people. Maybe it's your attitude or your body demeanor. You know, that, that side eye that you give that brother or sister when they walk by. But I think one of the most prevalent ways in the church that we extend hate to someone else is indifference. It's the lack of concern or interest or sympathy for that person. It's when we say things like, they deserve it. They made their bed. Let them sleep in it. As Christians, that shouldn't come out of our mouth. We shouldn't be talking that way about our brother or sister. When they go through those hard times, when they've made mistakes and they stumble, what we should be doing is going to help them up, letting them know they're not alone, picking them up and cleaning them up as Jesus did for us. We shouldn't have that within our heart. However, when we choose to hate, we choose to be willfully blind. We consciously avoid the truth that Jesus commanded us to love. That's sick. If there's anybody in scripture that knew firsthand the type of love that Jesus was calling us to live out, it was John. Because John experienced it himself and he was able to mature in it. See this John that we're talking about? It's the same John in Luke 9.54 that when that when people rejected Jesus, wanted to call fire down from heaven on them to kill them. And Jesus gave him and his brother the nickname Sons of Thunder. That's not a good nickname, especially when Jesus is giving it out. You know, it's one thing when Ricky Bobby wants to call himself, you know, shake and bake, you know, kind of thing. Like, that's pretty cool. Or, you know, when Jesus called Peter the Rock, that, that, that's a cool nickname. Sons of Thunder. Nah, that's not cool. Hate is powerful. It's intoxicating. It's dangerous. It pulls us away from our relationship with God. It leaves us in complete darkness. It compromises our relationship with Jesus. And can come to a point where we're no longer found in him. I don't know about you, but my life, my walk, my reputation, I want it marked by how I loved his people and how I obeyed him. I want Zion to be talked about how we love one another, how we care for one another, and how we care for the church at large. I'm getting ready to close here and band and Jess, you guys can come back. Today, through the command of love, we see how we are to measure ourselves before God. Our love should drive us to obedience to Christ and his commands. Those commands are found within his word and are written on our hearts when we receive the gift of salvation. If today you can say to yourself, I don't know if I love God in that way. If you've been disobedient to his command, you can ask for forgiveness and you can ask for a new heart today. A heart that is captivated by his love, one that would come to loving obedience in Christ. You might say you love God and it's difficult to obey the command that he's giving you to love your brother or sister. I know they may have done something wrong. Maybe they gossiped about you. 
Maybe they caught an attitude with you one day. Maybe they didn't invite you to some gathering or maybe they canceled on you when you were supposed to hang out. I know the feeling. I know how hard it can be to forgive and love them again. See, but the command isn't coming from me. It's coming from Jesus. This is the same Jesus that forgave Peter for denying him. It's the same Jesus that went to the doubting Thomas and told him to touch his side where he had been pierced by the spear. It's the same Jesus that rescued us from hell and the mess that we were in. His love drove him and it should drive us. Don't pass up this opportunity, this moment to release yourself of the hate and to be restored in Christ today. Today, we have the opportunity to love one another again as Christ loved us. We have the opportunity to walk in loving obedience to his command and to continue to remain in the light. We're going to have leaders lined up on my left, on your right, against that wall. And we'll be willing to pray for you after service. And I've purposely asked Ilea to sing this next song because it reminds us of the love that rescued us. And the bridge, I want us to sing it at both a proclamation and a prayer that we would have God be in our lives and in our love like never before. Don't leave here in disobedience and with hate in your heart today. I implore you to walk in love and in Christ. I hope you choose to obey his command to love today. Can you bow your head real quick while I pray? Lord, I thank you for the text that you had us in today, God. I thank you, God, that there's something that we can look to to measure up, Lord God, how we're doing with you, Lord God. And I pray in this moment, Lord God, that you would, oh God, soften our hearts, Lord God, God, that you would allow us not to get caught up in our feelings, Lord God, not to get caught up, Lord God, in past hurts, Lord God, but God, to allow you to come in and examine our hearts, Lord God, and teach us, Lord God, the way, Lord God, to obey and to love one another. I pray if there's hate in our heart, God, that we would release, Lord God, ourselves and those, Lord God, that we hold, Lord God, in that way, that we would leave here different and changed, Lord God, that we would truly leave in honest and true love with you, Lord God, and one another. Help us to see where we fall at, Lord God, where we're short at, Lord God, and so allow you to do what you have to do in our hearts. I pray that no one online or in the room would allow this moment to pass them by, God. But God, that we would repent, Lord God, and be changed today in you. In Jesus' name, amen.